United States physicians wrote 1.6 billion prescriptions last year. That accounts for the huge number of royal pain-in-the-backside faxes and phone calls and questions your office gets. But today, we're talking about some suggestions about streamlining that process. You are listening to Reach MDXM233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, your host, and with us today is Shirley Grace from Physicians Practice Journal, who recently researched and wrote on this subject. Welcome, Shirley. Thanks for having me, Michael. All right. We're talking about doctors and pharmacists playing together in the sandbox nicely so our patients can benefit and patients coming along and playing nicely, too, with us. Okay? Let's talk a little bit, please, if you would, about e-prescribing. I don't electronically prescribe. What did you research and find out in your article about e-prescribing? Well, e-prescribing is a leading-edge way of really being able to handle uh, more efficient prescribing and certainly cutting down on unnecessary communication with pharmacies, not to mention really taking a huge whack at medical errors, which occur in the millions every single year just because of problems with traditional methods of prescribing medication. So in other words, we turn to our little handheld computer, type out the prescription, and it goes wirelessly to the pharmacy, correct? Exactly. Okay. And we hope it gets there. And we hope we typed it correctly, right? Because I have as many typing errors as they have writing errors. (laughs) Well, with e-prescribing software, it does have a lot of fail-safes built into it to check against what you're prescribing in the dosage. And um, hopefully, if you have electronic medical records built in there, too, that it will be able to to judge what you're prescribing against what a patient is already taking to look for drug interactions and things like that. So yeah, I don't think you have to really worry about how to, whether or not there's a U in Coumadin. You have a chart here, uh, current issues and recommendations from the eHealth Initiative, a nonprofit organization. Can we go over some of these? Sure. There's a list of 12 things here, all right? The first is that medical errors and adverse drug events are common, serious, and preventable. Correct. We all agree with that. Absolutely. All right. Now, what about e-prescribing improving safety? What do studies suggest? How many, how many billions can we save? The estimates are upwards towards $27 billion if everyone were to adopt e-prescribing technology. Wow. Do you think we could take that $27 billion and maybe buy health care for some people with it? <laughs> that would be great. Or do you think it's going to go in the pockets of the government? Oh, let's hope not. All right. The third point is that these are available in a variety of levels. Can you say a few things about that? Uh, e-prescribing software is significantly cheaper than a full-blown electronic medical record system. You can buy the most basic kind where you are basically just, it's an electronic way to communicate with the pharmacy. And you can go on up from there where it's integrated in a more full-blown e-prescribing software with more bells and whistles and then fully integrated with your EMR. When you did your research for your article, you talked to one company that had e-prescribing software. Did they give you any idea of the cost of this or no? No, they got cagey with me on that. It is something that they do offer as a standalone and then a seamless upgrade when when you're ready to, to move in. And actually, it's a good way for a physician. A lot of physicians are a little bit leery of EMRs. Really, the adoption rate in the U.S. is only about 25% right now, which is significantly lower than the rest of the world. And if you would just take on e-prescribing software, you're solving a multitude of problems, and you're kind of sticking your toe in into the technological world, and then you can 
stick your feet in up to the knees and on up, um, the more comfortable you feel. So it's a good way to get started. Yeah, it actually sounds pretty cool. And after reading your article, I, I, I'm going to investigate it myself. Point number four says, yes, yeah, surveys estimate only 5 to 18% of providers use e-prescribing. Why? Startup costs? or Yeah, there are a number of reasons. Startup costs is one, lack of reimbursement. The insurance company always seems to come into play. The fear that you won't be as efficient, you could just whip off a handwritten thing so much faster. Why would you want to take time to you know, type it out? And that is a, a real concern. Usually those things are temporary, though, and once you get used to your own system, you go right back up in terms of speed. And what you find out, too, is that because you have a more accurate prescriptions that are going out, you're saving time on the other end by not having to put out fires. You're doing fire prevention, actually, and that ends up being quicker. Right, because point number eight that you have written here is that communication's faster, correct? More efficient? Right. And reliable. It seems pretty cool. Now, point number nine, can you go over this? Software should inform but not mandate a clinician or patient's choice of medication. Does this software ever do that, tell you to do stuff? No. Well, there's no regulation that would be able to have a software put into place, a demand that you you give this or that. Insurance companies demand that you give this or that as far as their formularies go. And what it is is that, you know, you're trying to get the best for your patient in terms of the medication to help them and also the medication that their insurance company will pay for. So what you're looking for is that intersection between those two needs. When you did the research for your article, you talked about Sage Software. Had you researched more than one company? No, I talked to a number of companies actually and what I put in my article certainly was a the composite of all of the information that I gathered. If you've just joined us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, and I'm speaking with Shirley Grace from Physician's Practice Journal, and we're talking about ways to help in the communication jungle between doctors and pharmacists. You give the really good idea in your article that if a prescription is majorly complicated, it might be best to call the pharmacist directly and discuss that prescription with them. Can we talk about this for a second? When when else do you think you should call and can you discuss the idea of making friends with a few local pharmacists? Anytime a prescription is complicated, extremely unusual, or if it's a controlled substance and you're just a little bit worried about it being the right dosage, Schedule II controlled substances are something that you don't want to mess around with too much. The government really has its eyeball on that particular list lately. And so you you want to make sure that the prescription is exactly what what you mean it to be and that you're giving it for a good reason. However, of course, with Schedule II substances, you will have to give a written prescription to the patient because they can't pick up their prescription without it. But you can call it in first. Now, you talk about making friends with a few local pharmacists as a way of decreasing irritating communications. Do you think you should go out and meet the pharmacists or call them or... How do you suggest we do this? Well, I think, you know, either or both would be fine. It would really depend on your own situation. You know, in a small town, you're going to tend to know everybody anyway. Big city, you might want to you know, sort of map out a radius or look at the demographics of your patients and where the pharmacies are. And I, I think, you know, either way, as long as you make contact and introduce yourself, there's nothing like face-to-face. But even a phone call is good to say, I'm Dr. So-and-so, and It's just like any other type of referral when you're referring out. Forging good relationships can only be to the good for yourself and for your patients. Right. I was going to say you spoke about that in the article, but there's the other side of that, which is practice promotion. When pharmacists know that 
you're a friendly doctor and you really want to work with them, they're a source of really excellent referrals for your practice. Absolutely. And you're not trying to force your patients to go to only a select list of pharmacies. Certainly you should honor wherever, you know, whatever they want to do. Even if you just say, you know, these are the pharmacies that I have good relationship with and you'll, you'll get what you need and we work together. It's not a requirement. It's just a suggestion. There's a fine line there. As a dermatologist, we do a lot of compounding, and there's a select number of pharmacies in the neighborhood that would compound very easily, more cheaply, and and same day for patients. And I have no problem with giving patients the names of those pharmacies and telling them to go there. But where they ever go, where they go is their choice, of course. Right. One of the issues that comes up, and you commented this a little about a little bit of this in your article, is the the balance between the number of refills given and the number of times a patient sees a physician as a way of controlling certain amounts of medication. What's the balance point here? I mean, we don't want to see patients too often, but if you don't see them often enough, you're not really taking care of them with their number of medications. In other words, everyone wants refills forever for nothing. What did you discover in your research, in your article here? Well, it has to be taken on a case-by-case basis. And also doing something like giving a large number of refills to a patient has everything to do with the relationship between the patient and that physician. It has to be a solid relationship. It has to be a patient whose disease is something that can that is in a maintenance type of state, say diabetes. You have to be feel that you can trust your patient to comply with the medication or that you feel you can trust him or her to call if there are problems. Some patients just stop taking their medication and then, you know, you're not you say you won't see them for three months. That's not good. So it really only works for these conditions. Right. I think that there's a balance between compliance and between seeing your patients ethically. I'll never forget when HMO medicine first came in, the story of the patient who came to my office in tears and I said, What's the problem? She said, Well, my GP for blood pressure was seeing me every month, and now that I've switched over to an HMO, they only want to see me once a year. So it's either they were seeing me too often before or not enough now for the prescriptions, and they were pretty unhappy with that. It comes down to authenticity. Our last subject that you touched on in your article, and it's really a whole other show, is about in-office dispensing. I used to do this. Is that right? Yeah, I used to do this for patients. I would buy things that I could get very inexpensively and sell it to them for like a dollar over cost as a convenience to them. And some doctors still do this, correct? Uh, Yes, there are some that do it, and there are reasons to do it, and there are reasons to be wary. One reason, of course, is that you deliver the medication immediately. There it is, and you don't have to worry that they're not going to fill it or they're going to lose their prescription. And, you know, a lot of them just go missing, and it just never happens. So, you know, that's, that's a good reason to do it. And, you know, fewer errors from passing off a prescription order, a drug order to someone else. Every time you pass something off to someone else, there's the risk for error. So those are reasons to do it. There are concerns, though. It can be higher cost than just going to a pharmacy and following your prescription plan copay. And there's possible liability if there are errors or the medication dosage isn't right or or whatever. So there are concerns, and every physician who's thinking about doing it needs to thoroughly investigate whether or not it's right for their practice. Right. We stopped doing it when patients would submit the cost of their medication to the insurance company, and the insurance company would tell them that we were only entitled to be reimbursed $5 less than the cost of the medication. I just said, forget that. But one thing that I do do in the office that's that's a suggestion is with prednisone, for instance, which is very overused, it costs about a penny a pill, and when my patients need it for 10 or 12 days, I just give them the medication for free. Is that right? So it's in-office dispensing, but it's totally free. Right. All right. Any other final comments on 
a plea for us getting together with pharmacists instead of being in each other's throats. It's much better for patients, isn't it? Absolutely. It's better for everyone, for patient care and for, for building and growing your practice, building or growing your business, anything that a physician, pharmacist can do to lessen this problem is good. My father is a retired radar engineer, and he says that every time you have a connecting point, that's an opportunity for failure. So if you can tighten up these connectors by good communication, then you're going to ease your own stress and you're going to be able to deliver higher quality patient care. And and that's what it's all about. That is what it's all about, higher quality patient care for all of us and less stress. Shirley, thanks for being our guest today. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM233, the channel for medical professionals. The hosts, producers, and staff at ReachMDXM are here for you, the physicians who care for your patients. We value your questions and welcome suggestions for future shows. Tell us what you want and what you need. Send your email to xm at reachmd.com, and we truly thank you for listening.